The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Breaking a Baseball News Podcast here on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I am Tim Jackson. Here once more with TC Zenka, who is uh, of clear mind and voice today. <laughs> How are you, I'm good. I got a little, <clears throat> got a little bug in my throat. I think <clears> throat> a little frog in my throat, but I'm good to go. You know, I'm ready to talk some baseball. It's been a bit. I left you solo last week, and you did a great job. Certainly taught me a few things about fastballs, which I don't even know fastballs were still in the game. I thought that they were <laughs> done with those. I thought, but uh, the curve with. Uh... <clears throat> With various old pitching coaches and twirly mustaches. Uh, but now we're back this week and we're really looking at what's in a win streak because some teams are really lighting it up, right? We, we've got three teams that are really, really on the come up lately, and that is the Yankees, uh, Cincinnati, Atlanta, all really going well lately. Uh, and I, I have a note to make uh, an apology of sorts for the Reds when we get there. Where would you want to start, though? Well, I mean, the Reds are kind of their own their own thing. I'm, I think we have to start with the Yankees, though, because they're they're still rolling. They're the team. They beat the Braves last night, right? And they they had a show, showdown of of uh, win streaks. Yeah, and the, and the Yankees took it. Uh, so I think we got to start there. They've won ten in a row. They have from from if we go back to the, the trade deadline, <clears throat> they were in third place. They were seven and a half behind the Red Sox. They were three and a half behind Oakland for the second wild card spot. It wasn't things weren't feeling particularly sunny over in in, pin, in Pinstripe Nation, but since then they've been insane, nineteen and four, and now they are in the top wild card spot. They're two and a half games ahead of the Red Sox, and they're three and a half ahead of Oakland for that second wild card spot. It's looking they're looking good for the playoffs right now. All of a sudden, and ten in a row. Amazing what a 10 game win streak will do for a team, right? And yeah, you know, like when you think about this team, I mean, I, I don't know how closely you you followed them, uh, their narrative all year, right? But like just the idea that this team has provided so many gut punches, right? Like they could they could win two out of three or win the first two, and then the third game is like they they just they they lose in the most awful, painstaking way possible. Well, I try very hard to ignore the Yankees, but it, it's it's hard to do, and especially when they are kind of performing in that, uh, you know, particularly like irking way that, they, that you describe. 
Yeah, well, and that's, you know, we, we look at a couple of guys that they've got going for them lately. I'm going to go ahead and look at Luke Voigt. He's a favorite of mine just because of the way he broke onto the scene from the Cardinals when he came over from there a few years ago. Uh, and it's like over the last, I don't know, week or so, he's basically like, he's just, he's annihilating the ball. He's sitting like 500. His OBP is 552. His slugging is 962. So granted, it's a week. And granted, Luke Voigt has not shown that he can perform over a full season, a full 162 game slate to this point in the year or in his career rather, but really he doesn't need to now, right? Because they only have so many games left. So if he's back and healthy because he's been on IL three times this year and he's got his timing back and he's suddenly like lining the ball up like this at the plate, like how massive is that? I mean, he's got, he's got three doubles. Uh, he's got three homers over that span going back to, August 15th. Uh, he's, didn't, they, didn't they replace him? That, I thought we were done with Luke Voigt, right? Isn't that the confusing part? We talked about their deadline and how weird it was. And now, like, what do they do? Like, how do they keep Anthony Rizzo and Luke Voigt in the lineup at the same time? Who takes a seat? Well, I mean, I, I, I wonder about it long term because it, I mean, long term, they can fix it however they want. And, you know, Rizzo's a free agent. And, you know, it does make you wonder if Rizzo is just kind of a pure rental, but, this has always been Voigt's potential, right? He, I mean, he was the home run leader last year. I mean, it was a 60-game yep. season, which, as you say, is kind of perfect for him. And that's what he's looking at right now. He's looking at another one of those, right? He's got, a, you know, 40 games left, 40, 45, 50 games, whatever it is. He's got a short slate ahead, and he can absolutely carry them for a time. I don't know where all the playing time, how that all gets divvied up. I mean, I would freaking hope that uh, Odor is the guy who's, like, moved out. Or, you know, Andrew Velasquez, who I guess is their starting shortstop now, so he's got to stay there. But, like, you know, there's room for Voight and for Rizzo, especially if you're resting them. You're giving them both a fair amount of rest because they both really need it. And, uh, you know, you were just rotating them in with their gigantic, you know, end of an outfield with, uh, you know, John Carlos and Aaron, jo- Aaron Judge and, uh, you know, Joey Gallo out there. So, I, uh, Who did I just compare to an end? in baseball um oh man i did i just made this comp- <laughs> uh, comparison like two days ago when it came to yeah well whatever the the point is ends are delightful so now they <laughs> that, that really does describe their outfield well and that's like do you think that like stanton sits more because he's been relatively unaffected ineffective this year like I, I mean they need somebody to play third base which is kind of where odor is right now Gio rochelle is coming back so i don't know that's right uh, jonathan davis or tyler wade gets sent down maybe like what happens there i mean you kind of need wade because he's their infielder him and velasquez the guy who's, who can actually play short while, while they wait for glaber to come back but i forgot about uh Urshela, he is coming back I mean, you can move move LeMahieu to third, or he can stay at second. He can, he, you know, he's, his time at first base for the team is probably pretty much, pretty well done. But uh, <clears throat> otherwise, those guys those guys mostly stay. I, I don't know who the, you know, Jonathan Davis. I guess probably gets pushed off the the roster maybe. Eventually, I mean, Stanton can certainly use the extra rest, and they can justify it with him. I mean, he's fine. He's you know. For the year, his numbers are good. He's 134 WRC plus, so he's solid, but he's certainly the type of guy that you want to rest a fair amount. 
and frankly, anybody who is, you know, any baseball player who is eight feet tall, which describes most of their, their players should rest a fair amount. And yeah. so you can sit judge every now and again, you can sit Gallo, even though Gallo is only 27 and judge is, you know, 29, judge is older than I thought he's 29. So you can sit those guys, you know, one to two times a week. If you need to, they're not exactly in a position where, to be like resting guys down the stretch, but it's, they're in this great position of just not necessarily needing them. Plus, I mean, what are the odds that one of these guys goes down for some amount of time? Like they're, it's pretty high. Like yeah. I would, I would guess that this situation just kind of takes care of itself. And, but the point being that even if it does, they're going to have, they should have enough uh, <clears throat> on the roster there to keep them going. The real surprise to me with this team is that the pitching has kind of figured itself out in this last, in this like ridiculous stretch of theirs, 19 and four since the deadline, when their big acquisition was Andrew Haney, who was rightfully mocked by, me and you <laughs> they have allowed 73 runs which is the lowest in the entire american league like they've been the best pitching staff in 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 their league which is kind of shocking how are they doing it well and a big part of that i think is jamison tyon who has really settled into uh his role really kind of like uh worked his way into it he's been somebody who didn't throw a whole lot the last couple of years right between his uh what was it tommy john his second tommy john second Tommy uh, john and now, you know, so he, he's back. He didn't pitch at all in 2020. He's back finally. And you have him going pretty much five solid innings, if not more. He's gone at least five innings every start since, wow, going all the way back to mid-June. June 18th was the last time he did not go at least five innings. Uh, and he still went wow. four and two thirds. And it's not like he got lit up that day. He he gave up two earned runs. Uh, he had five strikeouts. But again, like, I, I guess we're seeing again, we're using that term growing into it. He's, he's thrown 65 and a third innings. He's got 58 strikeouts. He's not giving up a ton of long balls. He's actually below the, uh, the average league average home run the fly ball rate over that time by about 4%. And that'll do it, right? Especially playing for the Yankees and, and pitching games at home where it could be it could be a happy park there to, to hit because it, it, it is 314 to, to the outfield corner and 318 uh, to left. Uh, so Jamison Tyone seems to be a huge deal. And then there's also Luis Gill, who is like kind of their spot guy now, right? Like he's, he's yeah. in and out of the rotation as needed. And he's yeah. been just incredible through 15 innings. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and who is Nestor Cortez? I see all the stuff on Twitter about <laughs> Nestor Cortez, but I'm like, no, 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 no. That's I'm pretty sure he's been DFA'd like three, four times. Like if he's doing well, it shouldn't be for the Yankees. It should be for some team that actually needs him. Right. But he is, he's like killing it this year. He's, oh yeah. Two, five, six ERA. He's been with 1.1 F war. Like he's, he's now pitching out of the rotation 56 and a third innings for him. Like he's logging significant time. Which is kind of weird, right? Like, again, like we just maybe Tyone, when it comes to what you expected at the beginning of the year and whether, you know, there, there were various outlets and people with the, the idea that the Yankees could piece together maybe one pitcher between him and uh, Corey Kluber, who had barely thrown in the last couple of years, and Luis Severino, who has not thrown at all almost in three years and who now has another a setback with his shoulder in rehab. Uh, his second setback this year. So I don't think we can expect to see him. I don't, you know, Clu Corey Kluber is currently with 
uh, Gio or Shell, actually, I think so. As we record this on Tuesday night, uh, I believe they're both playing for the Somerset Patriots, some 40-ish minutes from my house. And, uh, you know, maybe he'll be back on his way soon. And it's almost like, who does he replace? Do they push a guy like Nestor Cortez to a fireman type role, a relief type role, multi-innings, where they use his funky rotation uh, or funky uh, movement to the plate and build him up that way because he, he has struck out more than a batter per inning this year. He's walking below league average rates. And, you know, we might not know that his, his FIP is about a little less than a full run higher than his ERA, but it's still only 3.38. Like, I mean, he does have a 30% ground ball rate, like (laughs) pitching for the Yankees, which is low, which is too low. Yeah, well, and he's 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 lucked out with 0.96, you know, home runs per nine. So he, he, there might be some regression there for for Cortez, but even so, you use him in a long relief role. You piggyback him with Tyon as you're protecting his innings, or Severino or whoever comes up and whose innings you want to protect. So you use him in, in a tandem role. Uh, Tyon has been great, and you know we've seen him be good in the past. I mean, I, I, I none of these guys feel like really locked down playoff arms, but we don't really know yet. Like Tyon's never been in that situation. Uh, Jordan Montgomery is just now kind of establishing himself. Andrew Haney is as terrible as we all thought. He's he's the one thing that's held true. He's been worth negative 0.4 war since coming over. He's got a 6.55 ERA. So I I don't even know that he gets, sees time in the playoffs, but the thing about this Yankees monsters, the pitching is the same as the offense in terms of like it's built on such a rickety foundation that like all these guys are so hurt or injury prone or just, or just older. Now I just, they are getting healthy at the right time. And if it all works, if they all come together and they can definitely piece together some innings, I think watching how Aaron Boone manages this pitching staff in the playoffs would be fascinating. Cause outside of Garrett Cole, you know, we saw last year, he did not trust his starters to go deep into yeah. games. And it, it didn't pay off for him last year, but I don't think it was necessarily a wrong decision. And I think he's going to be in a similar spot this year where, you know, if you're going with Tyon, I don't know that you really ride him for five, six innings in the postseason. He might be a, a three, four inning guy when you're there. So, you know, but they do have some some horses in the in the pen, right? Like Chad Green's been very good. Loisega has been like, nasty. feels like Loisega, it feels like he's been around yeah. forever, but he is like, yeah, he is excellent now. Chapman is still a relatively decent version of himself. So ideally it sounds like you're saying that the Yankees, if they can get five out of their starter, they could be a legitimate threat. Like that could be a serious, if you look at like the win expectancy per game, it could really shoot up in their favor. If they can get just five innings, cause you've got Chapman who can go an inning. Liza can go one or two if necessary. Green can go one or two if necessary. Right. And then the rest of them, you could imagine they kind of patch them in there as they go. I guess so. I mean, I don't know. I don't like the Yankees. I don't like them from a personal standpoint. I don't like this team from a roster building standpoint. I don't think they're good, but they've won 10 games in a row and they're, you know, their record now is, uh, I don't know what it is, but it's, it's, oh, let me, let me look at them now. It's, but it's very good. They're in a playoff, firmly in a playoff yeah, 73 spot. 73 and 52. I, it, it's hard to say that team's not good. I'm just like, I think, I, I I don't know. Maybe I've been colored a little bit because like everyone gripes so much about the Yankees whenever they, they aren't doing perfectly. Well, that, that was, but it's just, God, I don't know though. It's just like, I don't love, I mean, I love the Joey Gallo pickup. I love the Anthony Rizzo pickup. I'm a big LeMahieu fan. 
so they've got some guys there. I do like Luke Voigt a lot when he's healthy. So there's some pieces. I mean, I just I'm just surprised that in the aggregate this whole thing is kind of working, and that right now, you know, if Rochella comes back, especially if Rochella comes back, and you know, what if just what if Glaber Torres comes back and is like decent yeah. again? He was doing well since like the All Star break, and then he he hurt his thumb. Then there's some trouble, and if they get if if Zach Britton comes back, I mean, some of these guys are going to be hurt, but they do have some significant pieces even coming back still. I mean, those are all big, big time names and could be difference makers. So, and they've Garrett Cole for a wild card game, right? Yeah. Against whoever it is. I mean, Yankees, Yankees, Red Sox wild card game would be pretty. That dope. would be a lot of I fun. Be, that'd be pretty uh, cool. Hopefully, it wouldn't take eight years, especially if it were a national broadcast. But. Um, you know, nonetheless, I don't even care. Can playoff time? I don't even care. Let's do let's do an eight year eight year game. I'm in, especially with the Rays sitting at home, just like <laughs> yucking it up. It's like putting their feet That's up. Fair. You know, you mentioned as you were going through a few of the guys that you liked. You mentioned DJ LeMahieu, and you also mentioned that uh, maybe you have been colored by the narrative around the team this year. And LeMahieu's kind of at the center of that. He's not had a good year, especially given his last two seasons. Uh, and really, what we're looking at is a team that has these flaws that has these players that part of the narrative is that like non-Yankee fans would be like, shut up. You're still 500. And then Yankee fans would be like, yeah. And we're getting there in the worst way possible. But now the pieces are starting to click. We've just talked about how the hitters could be good enough to rotate out and complement each other that way, or fill in in the event somebody gets hurt or doesn't come back totally healthy from the IL, we went through the rotation in terms of like having Garrett Cole and then seeing what happens. Like, do you think they are a legitimate threat to go on a run here beyond the wild card game in which they seem a lock for at this point? Honestly, I, I mean, I think they have to be a real threat for the playoffs, if, if nothing else, because they get some extra points for the Yankee cachet, right? Yeah. It's hard to go into Yankee Stadium in the playoffs. Like, there aren't many teams they're really the only team maybe the Dodgers now but pretty much it's the Yankees where they get some bonus points in the playoffs it hasn't worked out in recent years but I think they still have that kind of front-running power and if they end up with a you know if they take a a game one with you know 10 to 2 score where they're they're you know alpha really blows up and they're able to put some runs on the board like I, I do think this could be a tough team to come back for to come back against. I mean, at, at this and I don't know that outside of the Rays. Well, I don't know. The, the, the American League can be tough, but still, because of that Yank, just that that Yankee cachet, and because you have Garrett Cole, who's still able to pitch twice in a playoff series, and is still Garrett right. Cole even without the sticky stuff. Like I think they do have to be taken seriously as a contender. It's such an interesting place. And, and even if, you know, they don't play so hot over the next 40 games to close out the year, the wins they just had in this win streak, which they may, may still have another game or two or three, they're banked, right? That's such a big deal, which is kind of on par with what Atlanta has been up to. Like you, you have noted here that they had a nine game winning streak before losing to the Yankees uh, just the other day. They were 51 and 53 and a half game behind the Phillies on July 30th, they were four behind of the Mets. And then since then they've popped off to go 17 and four. They are 68 and 57. As of right now, they are four and a half games of the Phillies, six and a half ahead of the Mets. Are they cruising toward the NL East at this point? They are. It's going to be a fourth straight NL East title for them. It's insane. Like 
to think that at the trade deadline, a team could have recently lost their best player and MVP candidate for the season, that their best pitcher ostensibly re-injured himself and was out for a second year in Mike Soroka. This team had never been above 500 all season long, but they still went out, made some low-key additions, and now they're just rolling and they're just like yucking it up as the Phillies and Mets are doing what we have talked about all year yeah. long that the Phillies and Mets always do. They're just they're just laying an egg at the worst time. And the Braves, you know, we talked about this last time we were together. They just they shored up all the holes on their roster and they've put together and they finally, for the first time this year, were able to put together a run. They got some, they've gotten some consistent pitching. They've been helped a little bit by the schedule. They've had a good schedule of late. They got three in that run. They had three against the Marlins, three against the, the Orioles, which are gimmies these days, three against the Nash, Nationals, which are also gimmies these days. And so that's their nine. So it's not like the most impressive slate of opponents. But this will be a real test for them coming up. So they have one more against the Yankees, and then they have a three-game set with the Giants, and they have a three-game set with the Dodgers. So they have a tough nine games. The, the next nine are coming this up. Is, so we're, we're through game one of that nine-game stretch. So we'll see how they go. Kind of but. like what the Phillies just went through when they went on that eight-game win streak and really seemed to reshape the East before becoming the Phillies again. And part of what set them back on being that mediocre path again uh, being on that path was playing the Dodgers, right? And then people are like, well, they, they won eight to 10. They're really in good shape. And it's like, well, are they? Because they just beat up the teams they should have beat up, uh, including the Mets, who don't seem to be much of anything right now. Though, uh, if we, if we yeah. can take a side note on them, Javi Baez and Francisco Lindor are both coming back. Uh, but nonetheless, yep. I'm very curious to see how Atlanta responds to playing these absolutely top-notch teams because – Maybe they find a way around a guy like uh, Jorge Soler, who since coming over has hit. And we, we've talked about him, but he's kept it up. So it's worth noting again, he's hit 260, 383, 494. He has a 377 Woba, a 134 WRC plus. He is walking almost exactly as much as he's striking out, 16.8% to 17.9%. His ISO up above 230. And as Babbitt just 268, it's not like he's doing some crazy batted ball things right now with the new team. He's just like totally feeling it after hitting like sub 200 with the Royals this year. So how, like how major of a piece is that to get at the deadline, this quiet little acquisition who suddenly does replace not entirely a Ronald Acuna because you can't do that. That's just that player, that replacement player doesn't exist, but about as good as you could get for that kind of acquisition, right? Absolutely. And I will say, I do believe that somebody called him the potential Cole Hamels of this trade deadline, and he has absolutely gone off. So Solaire's there in the thick of things, and you still have Austin Riley doing really well. You still have Freddie Freeman being Freddie Freeman, uh, at least as much of a threat as he can be. And Albies has been really solid. Having Freeman there, having Freeman there is just huge. Like, because you can lose it in Acuna. I mean, most teams do not have two right. guys like that. And it's just, it's just insane that they do. And, he had, he stabilizes that roster so much for them. So we, we know that their lineup is so good. I mean, they've got Duval and Peterson basically hitting at the bottom of it. Now, Travis Darno just uh, had come back, right? He was injured for a little while he, and he signed a two-year extension yeah. to keep him around. He signed a two-year extension. And then the next day his wife gave birth. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, that's a pretty good week. Pretty good couple of days for, for Travis yeah, Darnell. You know, at, at the heart of it, their pitching has also been pretty good. They've got 37-year-old Charlie Morton. Uh, but otherwise, 25-year-old Tuki Toussaint and uh, Toussaint and 23-year-old Waskari Noah have been really, really good for them since coming up recently. Did, does either one of them shock you either more than the other or strike you as more sustainable uh, for a stretch run between the two of them? I mean, Inoa is surprising to me that Huascar Inoa has become such a significant piece for them is definitely surprising. Tucson, it, it feels like it's been a long time coming and it it does, he feels a little bit more sustainable to me just because we've talked about him for so long and he's had a couple different bites at the apple and this is kind of a development path that we're used yeah. to seeing, but um, so I'm excited to see how he finishes the year, if he ends up being one of their playoff arms or not. But it's still a little bit of a rickety foundation with that pitching staff. I mean, as you said, these days against these games against the Dodgers are going to be really interesting because, you know, we talk about the Brave staff being pretty good. And they actually, since the trade deadline, have given up 73 runs, the exact same amount as the Yankees, who lead the American League in that, in that stat. But the Dodgers actually lead the majors. They've only given up 51 good runs word. since the trade deadline, which is an insane number 51. There's not another yeah. team that's in the sixties, like the 20 runs better than anybody else. The pitching staff has just been on lockdown. So can the Braves, this, it's not a be all end all, you know, it's a three game series, but it'll be interesting just to see, can they, can they take two out of three? Can they, can they, heck, can they take one out of three from the Dodgers? Can they give them some competitive games? And is this pitching staff going to hold up? Cause I just, the, the Dodgers pitching staff has been interesting all year because they have moved guys in and out so much because of injury, because they have these younger arms who have yet to really establish themselves, Kyle Muller and Kyle Wright and, you know, guys that we hope to see and Huascar Anoa and Toussaint fit the same category as like, you know, guys come in, we get excited about them. Ian Anderson, we get excited about and then they're out for a bit. And, you know, a couple of years ago, Toussaint was one of those guys. So I don't see why he, he's not going to be someone that we should be excited about now. And their bullpen, you know, the Richard Rodriguez get was was pretty under the radar for them. But he is, you know, for four years, been a really significant bullpen piece for the Pirates who don't need a significant right. bullpen piece. But, you know, he's a big time arm. He's a big time arm and he compliments Will Smith in the back end of their of their bullpen. And they have... You know, their bullpen, other than than Rodriguez, these guys have been there for the last couple of years. They've been, you know, these are the guys that they've gone to war with. And it's not the best unit. And you worry a little bit about, you know, Tyler Matzik's, uh, you know, spin rate numbers and stuff since the sticky stuff. Like, that's all worth following. Luke Jackson, Chris Martin, these are guys who've, like, been up and down. But, you know, they are guys that you can that you can trust and you can give the ball to and you can kind of see what happens. But it's not the group, a group that I feel super certain about i do feel like it'll be enough to get them into the playoffs though because i just don't see the mets or, or phillies making a run now no it's it's really tough to see i mean um the phillies in their own right they we, i mean we'll get to this maybe a little bit later but they just made some pretty big moves and shakeups in their org and and to do those in august uh as you're getting ready for the stretch run is kind of a weird thing to do uh, I feel like the Mets would really have to lock in sync with uh, with themselves and each other really quickly to push a run being this far back right now. And th- those, I mean, those, te- those teams in particular, the Mets and the Phillies have been involved in some epic uh, swings in late divisional leads and yeah. all in, in recent history. But 
not too, too recent. So I, I don't know that the potential for the narrative is there, but I don't know that the potential in the product is there right now. And when you have a staff like Atlanta does, uh, that is really interesting. That is kind of rickety, but really interesting. Like working until it doesn't, right? Like, you know, still has an incredible yeah. slider. Uh, he still has a fastball that, that gets above average ground ball rate. That, that's something I, I think I talked about him in particular last week because Atlanta hasn't been especially good at developing these guys. Like you're saying, the Kyle Wrights, the Kyle Mullers, the Bryce Wilsons. They just haven't been able to iron out fastballs with them. And, and Toussaint, you know, yeah. kind of similar in that sense. He's a, another guy who has a hammer of a breaking ball. Uh, but when you look at his primary fastball, it's a sinker. And uh, it's not, I mean, this year it's, it's getting a lot of ground balls as it has in the past, but it's always been a variable pitch when it comes to getting whiffs. And that can kind of sink you too. But he appears to have rounded out his game enough and then he, you know, he, he's limiting his walks, which is the biggest thing for him because he's always given up a bunch in the past. Uh, and if he can maintain that, it's almost like you've got Morton, you've got Freed, and then it's whoever the third guy is for your rotation, right? Like I, you've got enough of them there that even yeah. Drew Smiley in a, in a, we've seen him throw fewer innings and, and more stints across like what he did with the Giants. What was it, last year where he suddenly had all this below and yeah. As a starter, it just hasn't worked out because he doesn't have the endurance to, to keep it up. But even in a smaller role, you piggyback two of those guys and then you leave one of them in the pen and that maybe bolsters this this kind of shoddy pen a little bit. And it's like, hmm, like you can squint and see a bit of a contender here, can you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm frankly, I'm kind of slotting them into the playoffs because also because after this nine-game stretch, their schedule gets really easy. I mean, they have this impossible nine games, but then they get, they have six more with the Rockies. They've got three more with the Nats. They got three more with the Marlins. They have four games set with the Diamondbacks. Like, and then they end the year with the Phillies and Mets who right now aren't exactly worth writing home about. So um, they definitely have a schedule that where they can kind of both make a push for the playoffs and also kind of work this staff to get it in a place so that it's playoff ready. I mean, I do wonder about them. I mean, as you're talking about their just kind of the makeup of the staff itself, like, is that, what you want in the postseason, right. guys. You can't really blow you away with the fastball. I'm mean, not, not really, not really, because you're seeing more balls put in play then, presumably. And you know, in the playoffs, this, you know, strikeouts do play if you can get right. them. On the other hand, Charlie Morton has been a, a big game guy forever in his career, and you know, maybe he steps up again. And it only takes a couple, but and the offense right now, they have enough. So we'll see what those matchups are when we get to the postseason. But for now, I do think that it's enough. They have enough to work with the rest of the way. I think I'm with you on that. And I think that they are in a unique position, just like the Yankees are in a unique position. Like all of these teams are really distinct in what their approaches. And up at the top, you mentioned that the Reds are kind of their own thing. You know, you have here again, since July 30th, 55, uh, and 49 at that point, they were five games behind the Padres. They are 14 and eight since then. They have the most runs scored in the NL. Uh, and now they are a game ahead of the Padres for a wild card spot. So when you say that they are their own thing, what do you mean by that? Like, wh what do you see in the Reds? The Reds are just look, here to ruin the party. Like, <laughs> we're, you know, we're trying to move to the future. We want the future. We want Fernando Tetis Jr. in the playoffs. And the Reds are like, not yet, son. We're giving you the past. And now we got old old, old man Joey Votto leading the way. He's been incredible this, this, in the second half. 
He has been. And this whole Reds roster, I'm, I've not been able to believe in the Reds all year. But it's hard to argue with them. The thing I just don't understand about this team is I don't know that I've ever seen a, a contending team, and they're without a doubt now, they're a contending team. I don't know that I've seen a contending team have a roster with so many just god-awful <laughs> seasons on it. <laughs> like, like who? I mean, Eugenio Suarez has been worth almost negative three war. Like, in part because they made him play shortstop for a while, and he is not at shortstop, all sure. a shortstop. But then he just hasn't hit at all. Like his offensive, he's been, been insane. He's negative 2.7 R war. Negative 2.7. And Shogo Akiyama, one of their center fielders, is almost at negative one himself. Plus, we can add into that Nick Senzel, one of their top players, or we thought coming into the season, he's been at negative yep. 0.4. And not playing right now. And then, you know, Mike Moustakis, negative 0.2. This is all by, by baseball reference war, so which I think of as being a little bit more reflective of what's actually happening on the field versus, versus you know, projection, pr- projecting. So this is like, you know, a little bit more results-based, I think. So he's another guy, Moustakis, negative 0.2. And then let's just go through their closers, like any of their closers. Lucas Sims, negative 0.1. Uh, Amir, Amir Garrett, negative 0.3. Heath Hembry, who was their closer before getting DFA'd, negative 0.6. Just so many awful seasons, some really bad seasons on this team. And yet they're making it work. You would have thought coming into the year that Eugenio Suarez was one of, the, one of their potential MVP candidates. Moving him to shortstop made no sense. Like, I can't believe that that experiment failed so spectacularly as we all knew it would. And they're where they are. And yet... The, <laughs> And the where they are still like Suarez, not only did he fail at shortstop, he has hit 171, 257, 371. Yeah. That is just, it's a 58 OPS plus. It just, and they've waited so long to bring up Jose Barrero, who looks like he could be their shortstop. Kyle Farmer's fine. He's been fine. He's good as a super sub. But the thing about this team is they just had, they've had above average years from so many guys on the rest it really of the roster. does feel like, like Votto's been insane. It feels like a feaster fan, right? Like you have Votto, you have Castellanos, you have Jonathan India, who's been really, really good. India has been awesome. He has established himself. So, I mean, they, they, the Reds knew they put him in the second baseman role during spring training. Nobody kind of yeah. expected it. And he's Worked. just, he's, he took it and he ran with it. He's been and, awesome. And before he got hurt recently, Jesse Winker was having an incredible season uh, by and large. Uh, and then like not to mention Tucker Barnhart and Tyler Stevenson might be the best catching tandem in the National League. Well, they're not better than Posey, but like they've been really yeah. solid and either one of those guys can do it. Yeah, really solid. And Stevenson can play at first too. He hasn't needed to as much recently with Votto being incredible. Like since August. Can he play third? <laughs> <laughs> we might find out. Uh, but Or hell, shortstop. Put him at shortstop. Why not? Register everyone at shortstop. Since since August, Joey Votto has been absolutely insane. He's hitting 296, 400, 648. Uh, He's got a 166 WRC plus, a 428 Woba, just absolutely insane. He's striking out 27% of the time, and he just does not care at all because of the way he's making contact and the way he's walking still 15% of the time. It's just, it's amazing to see for a 37 year old, almost 38. If they make the playoffs, he's going to be 38. And that's like, it's just not a season that we see. It's so great in terms of a storyline, just because Joey Votto kind of seemed cooked the last couple of years, right? Like he was, he's yeah. worth 
over the last uh, two seasons, so really a season and a third or so, he was he was worth 1.2 FWAR over 196 games. And it seemed like he might just kind of be done. And now he's not. And he's found a way to be aggressive. And he's got 28 homers, the most he's had since 36 in 2017. And he could, if he stays super hot, approach that number again. Uh, he, You know, it's like the, the counting stats might not quite be there the way they have been in the past, but uh, or at least in terms of runs scored. But he's been incredible. And when you have him and Castellanos and Winker and India, it's almost like the rest of the guys just need to be not like a three OPS plus, right? Like 56 OPS plus, which on that scale of 100, you're looking for guys to be over it, over 100. 56 is somehow still playing both on the field and in the stat sheet. It's absolutely wild. And they do have the weirdest pitching staff. When it comes to the well, and see, and that's the thing because like they've been scoring runs recently, like since the trade deadline, they've been they've been incredible up and down the roster. But it's the pitching staff that's carried them all year. Like I think five of their six war leaders is just guys from the rotation. Let's see, one, two. You have to get to their sixth place guy by by our ward to get to their second position player. After Nick Castellanos at two point eight, but I mean, can you believe that this team, a, a team that we're again maybe will make the playoffs? The top two, their top two players by by Baseball Reference WAR are Wade Miley and Tyler Molly. <laughs> like, what is going on? Like, Vladimir Gutierrez has come on and been like a significant rotation piece. Sonny Gray is their worst rotation. Is their worst arm yeah. in, the, in the rotation right now? It's just like the bullpen has been a total mess. But this rotation. We talked about the Cincinnati rotation for years. For years, it's been their strength, and they just they doubled down on it this this past winter by trading or giving away all their bullpen and just deciding not to pay for any relievers. Which you know, again, was an idea that failed, <laughs> and yet they're still here. They're still like now they have a chance to just ruin everything that Major League Baseball has been working towards, which is just getting the darn Padres into the playoffs. And after all that, like the Reds are coming in, they're like. Hey, what about us? Don't forget, we have six third basemen making twenty million dollars this year, and we want we want to do have some postseason fun too. So, I don't know. And the thing is, if you look at the rest of the schedule, the Padres the Padres schedule is horrific. Like they're toast. I don't know how they possibly make a run. They're pretty much playing just the Giants and the Padres, the Giants and the Dodgers the rest of the way. And the Reds, meanwhile, are in the NL Central. So, yeah, like, not uh, not the balanced scale you're looking for. Like, of course, baseball sets up the divisional play for the end of the year. We we all get why they do that, right? For the entertainment factor uh, of potential division races. So it makes sense to that extent, uh, but it doesn't necessarily balance itself out when you have the NL Central playing really the NL West uh, in in terms of the you know in playing within those those divisions. Uh, and it's interesting, you know, Sonny Gray has had rough patches, although he seems to have been really figuring it out lately. Uh, Alex Fast had recently spotted that he really had differentiated his cutter and his slider to the point that might make them really a, a, a nasty pair of weapons uh, to work together. Uh, Vladimir Gutierrez is an interesting name, an interesting piece as somebody who's come on, uh, whose fastball isn't so good, but could be good enough right now. Tyler Molly is... Uh, and he's an interesting case since the sticky stuff crackdown. This is something I was actually just looking at today. And that I, I think you, by the time anybody hears this, you should be able to read it at, at BP. Um, 
he has lost some of the most spin on his four seamers since the crackdown. And, and ultimately he was like a three RA like 10, um, 11 or 12 strikeout per nine pitcher. And then since then he's been like a 40 RA nine or 10 strikeout per nine pitcher still really good. And that's kind of like, if gray is figured out, if Castillo is, is ironed out himself, that makes for a really interesting third rotation piece for them. And hopefully again, like it doesn't always work this way, but when you push the starters to the bullpen, they can give you a meaningful inning or two if they came into a playoff race or a playoff wild card game. But I don't know, like you're saying, it's, it's such a bummer. Cause like the Reds really sold out this year in terms of trying, right? Like they gave away their bullpen pieces. They didn't find a real shortstop. They've denied playing the guy who could look like he could actually play there and they're still kind of being rewarded just because the NL West is such a freaking nightmare gauntlet that the Padres do seem kind of sunk right now, right? They just fired their own pitching coach, Larry Rothschild, which is, again, not a thing contenders do in August. So, like, yeah. how disappointing <clears throat> is that? If the Reds make it, despite how good some of their players have been, their overall strategy and weak spots have been, uh, the exact opposite and we'd be missing Tatis in the playoffs. Like, does this make sense to you? Is this the kind of world that, that, that breathes justice? Well, no, but the baseball world has never been that, that world, but th- th- this is why the long baseball season is just kind of a crazy thing because, but the, I mean, the other thing about this Reds team is that they are kind of rounding into shape. Like they've, they made, I hated everything they did in the winter. Yeah. You're right. I hated all of it. I hated the, just giving away, they're, you know, Razel Iglesias and Archer Bradley and just not replacing those guys. And then just, you know, going with the all third baseman idea. It's like all second baseman will play center field and all third baseman will play shortstop and right field. It's just like none of it made much sense to me. I, I, I really just, they, the fact that they didn't end up getting any of the shortstops that were on the market didn't make any sense. But here they are. And now they're kind of rounding in shape. I mean, if, if Jose Barrero, becomes can find his his sea legs here in the last two months of the season he's kind of the final piece for them if assuming they stay healthy because he is he's one of their top prospects he's a big time shortstop he's a shortstop with pop yeah the 11 homers and if he establishes himself here actually 17 homers in uh double and triple a this year so yeah he, he can he can hit one out He's good, and if he if he establishes himself, then I don't know that they really have the you know center field is still kind of a you know they're still kind of riding Tyler Naquin's first two weeks of the season <laughs> for some reason you know the center field is still kind of a question for them maybe but you know Shogo Akiyama figured out in a in a over a month last year so maybe he's just the last month of the season kind of guy you know and he'll figure it out again. But regardless, on the whole, their their lineup is really good. They have some guys who are fun to watch. I like I like India. Vada was a fun story. They're catching. I mean, they lose some value from their from their catching tandem in the postseason because you can't play right. both those guys. But you know, I like both of them. Castellanos is fun. Winker is fun if he's healthy. Even like you know, they have Aquino come off the bench and Mustakis like, and the and you know their rotation is really good. And if they can put a couple of those guys into the bullpen. Like this, I think this team might actually be able to make some hay in the playoffs. As much as I hate to say it, because again, I, I hated what they did. I I much prefer. I'm like, and the Padres are the exact right. opposite, right? They were like the Bizarro Reds. They were the team that went for it. They went for everything, and it's just 
totally blown up in their face in a way that like feels it feel, does feel very unjust. And the rest of the way, I just so, don't see it. With yeah. The, considering the teams are playing, I just don't see the, the Padres being able to hang in it. They're too beat up. They're too just like kind of disgruntled now. And, and the Reds are rolling and feeling Something good about it. It just seems off with their player dev. Uh, and we've talked about player dev being one of those things that never stops. But uh, so it, it does bleed into the major league team. They've had injuries on their pitching staff. Uh, you know, you, you, you signed Jake Arrieta after he was released by the Cubs, which is yeah. the weirdest move ever Horrible. because like, what does that say about top prospect Mackenzie Gore? Um, Blake Snell has been a total disaster by and large until semi recently. Uh, and yeah, leads the league in walks. Yeah, uh, Ryan Weathers has not been able to be so hot. Um, you know, really, it just seems like something, you know, they, they sold on Luis Patino for Snell, despite Patino being so close. Like they saw him in the majors last year and just said, this isn't for us. Like, I don't know. It's yeah. something seems off in terms of being able to put the finishing pieces on a pitcher and letting them stay. Even with, even with, um, oh goodness, uh, Denelson Lamette, similar situation. Like they just kept finding ways to keep him on, on the roster, even though he was very clearly not able to be a hundred percent. And at that point, like, why not let him get healthy given where you are with everything, but a weird situation. Right. And you know, it's interesting. You're, you're, well, that, you're yeah. outlining. Well, that's the difference too. Just, just as we've been saying just real quick, like this is the difference between playing the NL West and playing yeah. the NL central, right? You can slow play in the NL central and the NL West, the Padres have been, you know, full speed ahead all year and they've had to be, and they've had to be. And now it's like, are they gassed? You know, are they just spent in terms of keeping guys healthy and, and you know, Jake Cronenworth has been amazing, but uh, Tommy Pham has struggled at points and Eric Hosmer has been Eric Hosmer. And, you know, there yeah. are a lot of deficits to make up for them in this sense. Uh, and hopefully they can, they are still a fun team uh, and a fun team to cheer for. Uh, but like you're saying, like you were outlining with really all of these teams, even if some of them, if the Padres limp into the playoffs or whomever limps into the playoffs, it's not like a football an NFL setup, right. Where like occasionally the sub 500 or 500 team, makes it in like that was the the nfc east this past year right and everybody knew like whoever won the nfc east wasn't actually going to make a run but baseball's kind of staged itself a little differently right now and it seems like anybody who does make it in could plausibly get by around yeah for sure i mean all it takes is i mean it's hard to imagine anybody beating the dodgers in a one-game playoff but the dodgers lose games and they could lose a one-game playoff, and that would that be it be then. Wild. Then all of a sudden, you just have the Giants. And as good as the Giants have been, the Giants don't really scare you in the same way. Like, I may think the, the Brewers maybe do, but there's, you know, you can see any of these teams making a run. That's always been the thing about the playoffs. And the Reds, to me, seem like a team that's primed for that kind of postseason run because they're a team that they are putting some pieces together. They are able to fly under their radar, where some of these other clubs really have the spotlight on them. The Reds don't. They picked up a couple of nice pieces. Justin Wilson and Luis Sessa, they've been good in the bullpen. You know, Michael Givens has been closing games for them and he's been doing a nice job. Like these guys don't have to be, you know, you know, to our previous point, they don't have to be good in three years. They have to be good in, in right. three weeks and, and over the next six weeks. And they have some some margin for error with this, with this uh, lineup, which does feel like it's kind of, coming into its own right now. So I think they're definitely a team to watch as a, as a team that can kind of wreak some havoc in the postseason. You don't want to face Wade Miley in a one game playoff. That's, that's everybody's sure. nightmare. 
So for all of this going on over the last week and a half for these three teams in particular, four if we want to unfortunately count those Padres, there have been a ton of big and weird storylines through baseball. Even just the last few days, we've hit on a few of them uh, with uh, actually, you know, one really funny thing would be if the, the Reds just DFA'd Sean Doolittle, if the Padres signed him and he like you know, lightning in a bottle type, that would be a lot of fun. But uh, let's keep yeah. our fingers crossed I for mean, that. I didn't know they DFA'd Doolittle. That's, that's interesting. I mean, it's been interesting all year that as they've like run through a million different yeah. closers, Doolittle, the guy with the most closing experience on the roster has one save yeah. this year. I mean, it's not like he's been brilliant, but he hasn't exactly been horrible either. I'm surprised they didn't it turn was interesting. to him. But... Yeah, I thought it was an interesting move that came about today. But there are a lot of other things like that going on around the league or in baseball in general. You wanted to talk about uh, with this week in baseball, the Little League World Series with Texas and South Dakota having some standouts and uh, Hawaii just apparently smothering everybody and smashing them. Man, I freaking love the Little League World Series. <laughs> I am totally obsessed. I'm just like every moment, I'm, I'm watching like every single inning, Texas is super fun. Ella Bruning, this this girl who's catching is awesome. South Dakota has this, he's Gavin Weir. He's the weird Chris Sale clone <laughs> who's just been insane, like five and two thirds of a no hitter in, in the first game. And then the second game, he hit this monster blast, three run homer for South Dakota to win three to nothing. But the Hawaii, you just can't always, you can't ever beat Hawaii. Hawaii is always one of the top teams. They're just, their entire roster, top to bottom, is so good. And and you just seem they just seem like more interesting kids, you know. It's like they they live in Hawaii, yeah. live in this great place. All they're like, you know, most of the kids. It's like my favorite food is hot dogs. <laughs> my favorite food is pizza. The Hawaii kids are like, oh, my favorite food is edamame, and like you know, interesting Hawaiian food. It's like they, they just got more stuff going on. And there's the whole roster, top to bottom, is good. Hawaii's always been one of the teams to beat. It's hard to beat them right now. California is also is also very good. They had a kid hit two home runs the other day, just a monster. The whole thing's super fun. Anything can happen with these with these kids. There's still a lot more left to play. This is the first time it's been this big of a, a tournament US-wise because because unfortunately it hasn't been able to be global this year. So, you know, Taiwan's out of the running, thankfully. So, you know, one of these US teams actually has a chance. I'm looking at South Dakota. South Dakota win would, would be awesome. I mean, might be the most the best thing that's happened in South Dakota for quite some time. <laughs> uh, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that baseball factory, of course, of Hawaii. And and now they're always good in the Little League World Series. I'm kind of curious. Uh, it's just it. The thing about the this the Little League World Series for me is remembering that they are so young, right? They're like what all 12 and under. And yeah, they're 11 and 12 years and old. Just like amazing that you see them play that way. I mean, just thinking. I I don't know. It's and and now like we're at the point where we've got a few major leaguers from it, and it's really fun to kind of track that kind of thing. Uh, and. Well, the, the emotions are just so raw. Once you get to the fifth and sixth <laughs> inning, anything can make can cause tears. Just like kid grounds out the shortstop and it's just yeah. like, boom, waterworks. Kids, we, like worst <laughs> moment of his life, right? That we just saw it. That was the worst moment of his life right there. And now we're watching him react to it. And, and, and you know, then it's like the other kids yeah. come, pat him on the back, yada, yada. It's, you know, all the buildup stuff. It's just, you know, it's a very kind of pure form of the game. The pitching is like legitimately impressive. And, you know, not all these kids, like not many of them do make it to the majors. There have been a couple of success stories, Todd Frazier, Cody Ballinger, but like, it's not like these guys are showing up in the majors every year. This is for the, most of these kids, this is kind of their, their baseball yeah. peak. And it's because the teams are really good. It's kind of the thing we know about baseball, right? It's not always the Mike Trout right. led teams. It's sometimes these, these teams that have full rosters top to bottom and can keep their spirits up and, and kind of 
Also, I cannot imagine anything but more and more extreme variants when they're that young, right? Like, that's just part of it. It's part of the funnel of that piece of development, I guess, is that, you know, like you don't need to play in the Little League World Series to 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 play in the major leagues kind of thing. And that's kind of fun in and of itself because it does become a separate entity. When you've can, yeah, and then you have kids who are like same age, some are 4'11", some are 5'11". And it's just like, there was a kid on there from Michigan or something. I can't remember. They said he grew like eight inches during the pandemic. It's like this kid's five eleven now. He was five two like a second ago, and now now he's a star player. So it's just you know there is kind of just a lot of different things going on, and it's just kind of you know you can see they're having fun and there's they care about it so much. And there's there's going to be one group of kids that just has like the thrill of a lifetime. And that's pretty fun to watch, I think. Yeah, and good for them. And and I guess on another note, good for Yadi Molina agreeing today to a one-year, ten million dollar extension with the Cardinals. Kind of right, right? Like, kind of rounding. Yeah, up. baseball's biggest little <laughs> Um Otherwise, the the Phillies activated Freddie Galvis. They optioned Alec Bohm to AAA, and they fired their player dev staff pretty much. Uh, <clears throat> Man, that's that's a wild rough. turn of events. Ultimately. Um, Brian Minitti and Scott Profrock will no longer be assistant GMs. Uh, Josh Bonafe will no longer be their director of player dev. Um, huge changes to make in August. Like usually the kinds of things you see in the off season, right? And and very strange to see right now. Yeah, I mean, it feels like they're like literally just taking six steps back or like six years back, right? Because now it's like not only do they, they've already traded their top pitching prospect. Yep. Now they're demoting their top hitting prospect. Not that he doesn't deserve it. They're firing the staff that's been left over probably from the last regime. And they're, and it just feels so appropriate that they're calling up in Bones' place, Freddie Galvis, who was, you know, a, a, a Phillies rookie 10 yeah. years ago and, you know, wasn't ever all that impressive. But he's hanging around and, and you know, you just, you do, I mean, they're a mess. So I guess firing people is a step in the right direction. Maybe. I, I, I don't know. I mean, they certainly haven't been able to put the pieces around their star core and as much as the division was there for them, like in years past, it hasn't been, it's been a tough yeah. division this year. It was there for them and they're just falling back again. And it's just mm-hmm. such a, such a bummer for them. And, and it just seems like they're a total mess. right uh, now. I agree. I don't have anything more that is uh, appropriate to add. And as such, uh, we can move on to uh, another, I guess, I don't know if it's fair to say this is a failed case of player development, but the Pirates have outrighted Gregory Polanco and uh, he cleared waivers. Somebody will take a chance on him for the the league minimum, I'm sure. But uh, a bit of an end of an era type of feeling to this move, right? Yeah. Totally. I mean, the the Pirates are such a tough luck franchise. Like they, you know, they go 20 years without a winning season. They finally make the playoffs a couple of seasons and they can't get past the one game playoff. Yeah. Like they can't get more than one freaking playoff game. And now, you know, Andrew McCutcheon gave way to the, to the, I mean, Andrew McCutcheon is so long ago now. Like he gave way to the new outfield of Starling Marte and Gregory Polanco. And uh, who's the third guy? It was McCutcheon as they made that transition because McCutcheon was still there for those good teams. But Polanco was a definite piece. For them. He looked like he was going to be, you know, the third part of a really good outfield. And he just never developed the power. He got hurt a bunch. Of, he's going to been yeah. hurt a bunch. And he just hasn't He just hasn't been able to do it. They gave him a big extension that looked like a bargain. But even that extension has turned out to be a little bit onerous for them. And the Scott King, he's kind of the last piece from, from that team. Yeah. The old Scott King, 
it's got Kangaroo style. But, uh, you know, Tyon and Cole are pitching in New York and just weird. I don't know. It's, 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 it's just the Pirates are just, they're just tough. And he's got to go. There's no, there's no reason to give him at bats these days. So kind of is what it is. You know, time to move it along. But, but, you know, uh, speaking of moving it along, the Red Sox option, Jaron Duran, who had been having struggles, like we talked about, like similar to uh, Jared Kelnick in Seattle, having troubles with balls up and and finding a hole in his swing and that was kind of the worry about him as a prospect is that the, the he didn't have enough power and he had this hole in his swing then he got the power but he still has a hole in his swing at the major league level obviously not anywhere near a gregory polanco yet but the red sox seemingly feel like they're still in it really still are can't really afford to have somebody who can't play every day and who can't do anything off the bench like that so like is this a natural course right now? And you, you figure Duran will be a, a bigger part of things come next year. I think so. I think you like to think that struggles like this helps open a, a player's eyes. So like, you know, you have a hole in your swing, but you're just crushing it at triple a. It's hard to really, you know, take in that advice to be like, Oh, wow. I got to figure out this high right. fastball thing. Like, I don't, you know, they're about to call me up to the major leagues for, for Christ's sake. Like I'm about to be a major leaguer. And now he's, he went up and saw like, saw how things really are. And now he gets to go down and kind of refocus himself on this specific fixing this specific thing. So theoretically, this is a good thing in a kind of a natural course of events for Duran. It's too bad that he doesn't get to be a part of the playoff push right now, but he could be added when rosters expand and the Red Sox simply don't really need him. And, you know, they have guys, Kike Hernandez can play center field. They have guys to fill out those outfield spots. So it's not necessarily a, a, a need. So if it's just like, we're just talking about player development. Yeah. That's what AAA is right. for. There's, there's no space for that when you're, you know, behind the Yankees in the, in the wildcard hunt. So you got to move it along and, and see what Duran does over the final couple of weeks of the AAA season. Meanwhile, the Minnesota twins have put Kenta Maeda on the 10 day, 10 day IL with a right forearm strain. It has been just a lost season for Maeda. He dealt with a groin issue. He dealt with uh, just general arm fatigue. He dealt with his arm, his starts pushed back like four different times, three, four different times over the course of like just a few weeks after he'd finally gotten healthy, um, seemed to be riding the ship a little bit. And now he's just, I mean, this could be a precursor to Tommy John. The, the twins were actually who I regarded as um, basically seeking ants in their rotation. Everybody they have is mm. uh, as a prospect is like six, five or bigger and, <laughs> Uh, just massive human beings like Bailey Ober is six foot nine and he, he is their resident and right now, uh, but kind of a bummer to see my end up on IL. What do you make of this for the twins? Even as a lost year for 2020, 2021, is this like a precursor even for 2022? I mean, if, if it is Tommy John, that's really awful news. I mean, cause the thing about Maeda is his contract is very, incentive laden yeah. so they, they can afford to lose him financially but they don't have another top of the rotation talent especially especially with Barrios now in, in Toronto and while they got some nice arms back in some of their deadline deals and you know Joe Ryan will get a chance and, and some of these other guys like they need if they are going to turn it around which I kind of I, I'm skeptical about next season they really need Maeda to be the guy for them because he's their only ace yeah. that they have now. And they, and they really need him to be that kind of guy. And, you know, outside of what we saw in the shortened season, we haven't really gotten that from Maeda before. So I'm not sure 
I'd be feeling all that confident in the Twins. Yeah, and and their prospect development has kind of uh, stalled out a little bit. And so hopefully they get some balance with some health next year because so many of those guys have been injured. Uh, We'll end here on a fun one. Nelson Cruz set to play his first pro game at first base against the (laughs) Phillies. How do you feel about that? Them working in Nelson Cruz into uh, an an NL game there for the lineup's sake. I mean, better first base than second base where the Padres were theoretically (laughs) thinking about of trying him out. So, I mean, it's unfortunate that Nelson Cruz is like one of his most famous career moments is, is a defensive moment in the world series in right field. So maybe we just need to see him in a different spot. Let's get him by first base. Maybe he can have a, a, a goofier disaster of a moment at first base that we can remember him for instead. <laughs> that, oh, man. I, I didn't even think of it in those terms. I just thought of it in terms of, like, what a joy. He's always wanted to do it, so now he's getting to do it because, of course, that's, that's <laughs> the thing the Rays would do. Uh, so Yeah, because the Rays can just spend time just, like, making their players' wishes come yeah. true. And it's like, yeah, sure. Have you be a first baseman for a while? Why not? We have, we can we can hold off the Yankees. G Man Choi is just—he's not playing right now. I'll just—we'll give you a start. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, so TC, why don't you tell everybody uh, where they can find you online and what you'll be up to? Uh, I'm at MLB Trade Rumors a lot this week, so I'll be there uh, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday morning. So come, you know. Check us out over there. We'll keep you up to date with what's happening with all these roster moves as we get closer to September. Uh, you know, I'm always over at Pitcher List and uh, find me on Twitter at TCZENCKA. You can find me at Tim Jackson Says on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Baseball Prospectus doing the depth charts. Uh, I have a fantasy freestyle out this week that's a follow up to a Rob Arthur piece on um, how pitchers have lost spin. I'm looking at which pitchers have lost spin. Um, you can find me in the, the PL discord bouncing around with, uh, various questions here and there. Uh, you can find the pod at breaking pod PL on Twitter. You can find us at, uh, if you want to email us at breaking pod PL at gmail.com. And of course you can leave a, a kind comment and a five-star review that does a ton in terms of more people being able to, uh, check in on the show and seeing the show and having it offered up to them. Uh, and ultimately, really just one of those things where we get to expand and have this conversation that we've so happily had with you with more people. And that would be just delightful. So uh, we hope that you had a great time this week, that you gleaned a few new things as always, and that you have the best week ever, everybody. Otherwise, we'll see you next time.